right, you guys, welcome to the show. It's the end of the empire with me, your host, Scott Horton, and him, your host, Pete Canones. How's it going, Pete? Good, man. What's happening? I don't know. I'm just uh, sitting here directing the Libertarian Institute. Cool. Uh, editorially directing antiwar.com. Um, good talk to you again. You have a good Thanksgiving. What's Scott doing deal with that? Yeah, man. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, we just um, stayed at home. Stacy's dad visited, and um, yeah, it was a cool time. Good time. That's good, man. All right. Well, it looks like we got a few people in the chat room there, so that's good. Hey, chat room folks. Uh, we got some things to talk about today. Uh, good old Dave Smith is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Is that correct? Yep. That's what he said. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, I got a few things. Uh, today I talked with uh, Gilbert Doctorow about um, Russia issues, and I talked with. Are you familiar, Pete, with the War Nerd, uh, John Dolan, aka Gary Brecher? No, I, I'm not. Uh, he hosts the War Nerd podcast with uh, Mark Grumble Grumble. Um, but I love the War Nerd. He's really smart, man. I read this book that he wrote, just dispatches essentially his take on every war in the world, including ones you never heard of. Um, and he wrote up this really great thing. It must've been 10,000 words or 15 that they ran at naked capitalism um, about the war in Ethiopia between the Amara and the Tigray and with the Eritreans and, you know, all of this that's been going on for a little over a year now. And so you know, there's this guy, I forgot his name. He's got Rand Paul as his avatar on Twitter, and he's been after me for a long time. Or when are you going to cover the war in Ethiopia? And I haven't done it because I didn't want to just get on a reporter who was writing about one small aspect of it. I really wanted a good take that was going to somebody going to be able to give me a holistic take on who's killing who and why and for how long. And, and if there are any, you know, not necessarily white hats, but less worse sides to to you know understand their uh take and and whatever so um i was really glad that i waited until i read this piece by the war nerd because it was all that i could have ever asked for so um cool. especially after reading it twice i'm all caught up and as he put it there are no good guys it's just uh, you know this faction is this faction and this one is that one so um but I got a pretty good handle on that. Got a good interview out of him about that today. Um, so, uh, I don't know. That'll be up pretty soon. And then also, and I guess we're going to talk about this. I uh, interviewed also today Ford Fisher, who's the independent reporter. Who's He did that great documentary about the case of Johnny Hurley from Arvada, Colorado, where this guy, for unknown reasons, Decided he was going to start killing some cops. He killed one and then apparently was, you know, set to ambush whoever, you know, responded as well. And this guy, Johnny Hurley, was essentially a, a libertarian anarchist type and just happened to be at the army surplus store across the square there and grabbed his concealed gun out of its holster, ran over there, uh, confronted the shooter and shot him dead. And then a moment later was killed by responding cops himself and they kind of covered up what happened and they dragged ass investigating and explaining you know what all went on there so i have developments there from ford fisher today 
in the latest on that. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, essentially what I got on my mind here. Good to see um, our friend uh, Kyle Anzalone in the chat room there. I was listening to his show earlier today when I was out driving around. Um, if I ever get hit by a bus, just tune into Kyle's show and he'll fill in for me and take care of all your libertarian anti-war needs. <clears throat> um, if you ever yeah, man, if you um, go face uh, down in a vert ramp, he'll be that's there. That's all for, I got. Yeah. He'll be happens. there for us. <laughs> this does happen from time to time. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's what I got, you know, um, as far as, uh, I, I don't really want to discuss the, the Ethiopia thing. That's all I got to say about that. But, um. We could talk about um, what's talk going about on the Johnny with Hurley Ukraine, thing. and we talk about the the Johnny Hurley story. And then, what do you have in mind? Um, well, later when Dave comes, we'll talk about this new variant. And um, I've been listening all day to news about that, and it's just okay, great. It's insanity. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so let me just say about the Ukraine thing. Um, you know, there's a story by. Uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor in the American Conservative magazine. We ran as the spotlight on antiwar.com yesterday. And he's saying, uh, Mr. President, remember Pearl Harbor? And now Colonel McGregor, if you don't know, was uh, the hero of the big tank battle of Iraq War One, and was General McMaster's commanding officer back then. And our friend Daniel Davis actually served under them both during that big tank battle in Iraq War One. Um, and he's the guy, Mark Perry, our late great friend, Mark Perry, had written a piece for Politico magazine about three or four years ago about how the war plan, the army war plan for how to fight Russia in Eastern Europe, there are two competing plans. One is championed by McMaster, the other by his former commander, McGregor. And so that's who this guy is. He's the guy who wrote at least one of the two major competing army war plans for how to fight Russia in Eastern Europe if we ever do fight Russia in Eastern Europe. <clears throat> so he knows a thing or two about this. But essentially, the guy's a non-interventionist. says, we shouldn't be fighting Russia at all. We got no beef with Russia at all. Soviets are dead and gone, and these guys should be our friends now. We should be working with them. And for that matter, he's not a China hawk either. He's not saying we should team up with them against China, because China, they're our economic competitor at worst, and uh, in no way really you know, threaten our friends the Japanese or the South Koreans or the Australians or anybody like that. And uh, so all these problems can be solved peacefully, uh, you know, simply by negotiating. We shouldn't be doing any of this. But then he brings up World War II and he says, you know, when, when they were done doing their annual anti-Japanese naval exercises, instead of pulling back to California, they only pulled back to Hawaii. And the excuse at the time was, this is to deter the Japanese from attacking the Philippines. But then FDR put his embargo on Japan. So whatever deterrent value they were getting out of having their naval forces at Pearl Harbor was lost at that point because the provocation of the blockade was too much. They were going to have to sack Singapore and the Indies to take all the Dutch oil resources and all that there. Uh, we gave them no choice. So at that point, our guys out at Pearl Harbor are no longer a deterrent. They're simply bait. They're a sitting duck. And um, so you can call it deterrence, but that doesn't mean that you're actually smart. you know. And then he's saying essentially the same thing in Ukraine. As we're saying, 
you know, we're going to arm up Ukraine and that'll show those Russians. But in fact, it might just show those Russians that they feel like they got no choice but to do something crazy. And um, in this case, as I talked about with Gilbert Doctorow today, um, you know, the Americans have been talking about putting these anti-missile missiles in Ukraine. And uh, the thing about that is that, um, you know, first of all, they already have these in Romania and Poland. That's already kind of an offensive threat, even though they're anti-missile missiles. If you ring Russia with enough defensive, quote unquote, missiles that you can shoot down a major percentage or at least attempt to shoot down a major percentage of any retaliatory response by them, then that really is an offensive capability. And you're increasing your ability to do a first strike against them on the threat that you can shoot down anything they try to retaliate with. But on top of that, that's already really going too far. But on top of that, the uh, missile launchers can easily be adapted to fire offensive missiles as well. And they fire, I, I'm pretty sure it's Tomahawk missiles can fit in those same missile launchers. Um, but other nuclear capable cruise missiles can be fired from those same launchers with essentially zero modification, right? With just flipping a enter key or clicking a, a double mouse click um, and you switch from one mode to the other. And so, um, you know, that represents a real threat in the eyes of the Russians. And Vladimir Putin said, I hope you people understand that this is a red line for us. And he's not the kind of guy who talks very tough all the time. You know, he usually is always very understated about, well, we and our American partners disagree about some things, but we like to work together too, or whatever. You know, he tries to talk very in a very conciliatory fashion a lot of the times, but he's warning that you're really pushing this stuff too far and you're going way too far. And if you act essentially as though Ukraine is already a member of NATO, then we're going to have to act to prevent that from being the case. And they've already said, um, as you and I may have discussed before, Pete, it's in the WikiLeaks. Uh, Sergey Lavrov told a man who is was then the um, I don't know if he was the ambassador to Russia at the time. I think he was, but he's now our current director of the CIA, William Burns. And um, Lavrov told him back in late Bush years, I'm almost certain it would have been very early Obama, but I think it was late Bush that yet means yet. That's the WikiLeaks. If anybody wants to look it up. And it's William Burns writing home and saying, Sergey Lavrov told me, you guys better not try to bring Ukraine into NATO because we're just not going to let it happen. And this is absolutely a, a red line for us, et cetera, like that. And Vladimir Putin, in reference to bringing Ukraine into NATO and the threat that America would, uh, told an Italian diplomat that, you know, that we could be in Kiev in two weeks. And I got to emphasize here, Pete, there's no reason to believe at all other than reading the New York Times, but there's no real reason to believe that the Russians are an offensive threat to Eastern Europe at all, whether America is there or not. Um, for example, look at the way that the Germans are not arming up against them, but instead are just trying to build a gas pipeline so they can import their gas and pay them. Um, the, uh, the whatever Russian buildup is taking place on the Russian side of the Ukrainian border now and, you know, whatever threats they're making against Kiev or have in the recent past are all reactions against what America's doing and, and against threats the Americans are making against them. And then the Americans say, see how aggressive they're being? Uh, and they always do that. Um, you know, it's just like the Israelis 
and the Palestinians, you know, there's their violent actions are always aggression and ours are always defensive by definition, that kind of thing. Um, that's the way they do it. And, um, but the thing is, uh, I think they could make a real big misjudgment here and say, listen, we can't back down. If Putin says that we can't do something, well, we have to do that now because he said that we couldn't and we have to prove it. He can't tell us what we can't do. And so now let's send more missiles and more tanks and, uh, you know, more trucks and more guns and more trainers. And the thing is, is they have a somewhat of a stasis, like kind of low to medium level fighting in the war in the East, which from 2014 to 2015 was really bad and killed more than 10,000 people. And there's still some fighting going on there. But we essentially had a peace and the national government there, the national army, is not really strong enough to win that war outright. And certainly not when they're supported by Russian special operations forces, helping them from across the border. Um, and so, but, you know, we have kind of a, um, a messy, ugly, almost ceasefire. And then we're tilting the balance against that and trying to ruin that and screw that up and could lead to, you know, the war breaking out all over again. Now, back in 2015, the Donbass region, that is Donetsk and Luhansk, these two major uh, kind of provinces in eastern Ukraine, they voted to join the Russian Federation. And Putin told them no, he didn't want them. And, and you know, he absolutely could have just pulled a Sharpie out and drew a line on a map and said, this is Russian now. And no one would have been able to do anything about it. But he refused to do that. And he, he did send special operations forces across to help them keep the Kiev government out. Um, and of course, this is all we're talking about the consequences of the uh, CIA backed coup of 2014, where the Americans and their German partners overthrew and their their right wing nationalist Ukrainian partners overthrew the uh, Russian leaning elected president uh, Yanukovych, which precipitated this whole crisis. But um, and which was the second time in 10 years that the Americans had overthrown the government there. Bush did the same thing in 04 with the Orange Revolution. Um, and uh, the same guy, by the way, that they overthrew Yanukovych both times. Um, so anyway, uh, point being that, you know, here's a country where the American people and, and even big business has essentially no interest. Like maybe Archer Daniels Midland has some interest in their, you know, uh, farmland or something like that. But essentially, you know, this is a country that is east of Eastern Europe. This is, you know, um, in the northern coast of the Black Sea that most Americans couldn't find on a map. And, you know, in other words, due north of Turkey. Um, and it's just none of America's national interests whatsoever, unless you subscribe to all these BS theories about American credibility on the line everywhere at all times. And if we ever claim we'll do something crazy, we have to always do that crazy thing. Otherwise, people will doubt that we'll do something crazy when we promise that we'll do something crazy. And so they talk themselves in a circle like that and they do the same thing about Taiwan. In fact, they're telling Biden now, if you flinch in Ukraine, the Chinese will move on Taiwan. You can't show weakness to anyone anywhere or else everyone else will take advantage and all these things. That's just not true, right? Like when we lost Vietnam, did the Russians roll into West Berlin? No, totally separate issue. You know what I mean? You don't have to connect those things at all. Um, so anyway. It's uh, it's the American empire very far from home, uh, you know, passing out what Biden called ironclad guarantees of what exactly we don't know 
some kind of protection from Russia. And so, I mean, I would just, I guess, ask people and look, you know, if I have a dog in this fight, my wife's from Russia and she hates Putin and, and, uh, she's not from Russia. She's from Ukraine is what I mean to say and hates Putin. And, you know, I guess, so if I have like any particular bias in the thing, as far as that goes, then I'm all for Ukrainian independence from Russia, but I'm not willing to do a damn thing about it, Pete. I'm just not. And I'm certainly not willing to commit anyone else in this land to a fight with Russia over the independence of Ukraine. It just doesn't make sense. Pat Buchanan, I think brilliantly, obviously because I plagiarize him all the time, brought up the possibility of a Chinese invasion of outer Mongolia. And if that happened, then what are we going to do about it? And isn't the answer necessarily nothing? We won't do anything about it because it's not any of our national interest by the slightest stretch of the imagination. We don't have any ability to field an armored force there enough to to even plausibly have a chance of winning a fight. And so that's just tough for the outer Mongolians. Their security is not our responsibility. And it's the same thing with the Ukrainians. And back to McGregor. McGregor says, look, Taiwan is right off of China's coast. Ukraine is a few hundred miles from Moscow. Okay? They're both very far away from the middle part of North America. And how are we supposed to sustain a war in Eastern Europe? How are we supposed to sustain a war in the far Western Pacific Ocean? We can't. And we're not in any position to. And we shouldn't be even pretending that we would. And I got to say, man, I'm disappointed in the Hawks, Pete. They knew they had the unipolar moment and that it couldn't last forever. And they had a chance to set up the new world order their way where it was going to hold, right? Instead, what they do, they built a world government that is essentially a house of cards, no different than the government they built for the people of Afghanistan. The whole thing is just bubble gum and string. It's a government job, right? It's It never worked. So, you know, at the same time, they're trying to convince the whole world that letting us provide all the security and following our lead on all the rules of trade and all the rules of immigration and every other thing, uh, you're supposed to do all that while you watch us completely obliterate the Middle East and create 37 million new refugees, more than at any time since World War II, to turn the world upside down. Um, and, and all in the name of Liberty and all in the name of doing it our way. And now they, you know, like you, uh, Twitter meme warriors like to talk about the autistic screeching re they can't stand it that now China took our advice and adopted some form of market capitalism and got rich. And so now are beginning to equal America's power and influence in the world, beginning to sort of in some ways. Um, And then, but they can't stand that the whole world isn't immediately rallying around America and the American way against China. And why is that? Well, it's because they absolutely blew it. They didn't pick their best and their brightest at all. They sent the Bushes and the Clintons, you know, with John McCain and Joe Biden and Bill Kristol riding along telling them who to bomb. And they ruined everything, you know, most especially their own credibility. You see it among the American people, of course, but it's the same thing with the entire rest of the world. 
they have this thing now. They're trying to spit it. That, look, it's America and the democracies against China and the autocracies. But nobody believes that because everybody in the world knows that America backs every dictatorship in the world except China. You know? So who's Zoom and who? Nobody. Nobody's buying it. You and the Saudis are crusading for democracy. Is that right, Uncle Sam? Come on. It's soaking in the blood of two million dead people in just the last generation. And then, you know, they want to cry and hawk it up that they don't have all the power and influence that they think that they deserve. You know, they probably, other than dropping a nuke on somebody, they probably couldn't have blown their credibility any worse than they have. Um, so, yeah, screw them. And and hopefully they won't kill us over it. You know, I, I got a, a message from a friend that said that Blinken and Lavrov in their meeting in um, Copenhagen, I think it was, no, 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 it was in Stockholm, Sweden, pardon me, um, that it devolved into a shouting match with Lavrov screaming at Blinken. And I can't help but presume that Blinken deserved it and was being absolutely unreasonable and crazy and that and that Lavrov had just absolutely had enough. And boy, you know what? You know how people look just like they are kind of thing? I look at Antony Blinken. To me, he's the perfect secretary of state for this era. He He is the United States like internationally personified. You know what I mean? Smarmy little twerp, right? <laughs> Does nothing but talk, but can't back any of it up because he ain't right about nothing. He's standing on a record of nothing but loss. And 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 yet it's the last one to figure it out, right? He talks to the Chinese the same way and they just cross their arms and go, yeah, well, you're not so impressive to us, Antony. So, um, you know, yeah, man. You want, to move, you want to move on to a new subject before Dave gets here? And we, what you may not know, you probably do know that we have people have the ability to send us super chats now. Mm. So we got a couple five dollar ones. Death says, Love all three of you. Merry Christmas and happy Hanukkah. Um, Harley Abbott, I've heard of this guy, I'm not, not sure where. Um, it says, for the, Yeah, really. Uh, five bucks for the history lesson. Thanks, Scott. And Polaris589 asks, how do I convince people that government violence is unjust? Can I take that? Yeah. All you Please. can do is all you can do is give them information. You're not going to change their mind. They're going to change their mind on their own. It's not up to you. You know Just, what you do? Quote Lou Rockwell. You know, Lou's got great quips about like, and this may have been Murray actually that Lou's paraphrasing too, but just you know, taxation is extortion. Arrest is kidnapping and war is mass murder. And you just do like George Carlin, man, take their euphemisms and then just destroy them and say, look, the, the brilliant libertarian invention is thinking that morality also applies to the institutions too. Huh. And then, you know, it shouldn't be that hard, man. Find a way to break that ice. If they're right winger, start with the IRS. If they're left winger, start with the cops. You know, get clever, figure out what they're good on and then work on them and ask for a little consistency. If they're a right winger, they're probably good on guns. So then explain to them why the economics of the war on guns and the unjust prosecution of the war on guns is the same thing as the war on drugs. And then vice versa too. explain to your left wing friends. You know how you're smart about the war on drugs? Well, same thing applies to guns, dude. Who do you think sitting in jail on gun charges, man? 
This guy got caught with drugs in his pocket twice and a gun once, and now he's doing life. Didn't hurt anyone. You know? So figure out what they're good on, man, and then bring them with you. Yep. Uh, one, okay, just now got, let me say real got, quick. Just Go got ahead. another super chat in. Um, oh. Sim Kalpin asks, what is the next big foreign intervention misadventure that worries you most? Hmm. I guess Russia or China. You know, those are, I don't think they're going to Iran, for example. I don't think the Israelis got the hoods put a drag us into, into that war without permission. And I don't think they'll get permission. Um, Dude, if we went, if we Yemen too, man, yeah, Yemen. Yeah. And look, if we could stop the current war on Yemen, Pete, we now have the biggest, baddest version of Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula that ever existed times a thousand. Now, what are we going to do with them? And when we switch back to the other side of the war again, you know, it's going to be a hell of a thing, man. Yeah. Um, just thank Fubadu for giving us five bucks. He's always on my live streams, uh, oh, throwing right a little on. bit, throwing a little bit of cash out there. Joshua Russo says, um, you can't swear in super chats. Tell us mean stuff about Adrian Zenz. Oh, that's funny. Well, I just saw something funny today about Adrian Zenz where somebody had put a note in his shoe that said, help, I'm a Uyghur slave in, in English, in bad handwriting. Help, I'm a Uyghur slave and I need saving and all this and posted that on Twitter and Adrian Zenz just ran with it and said, oh yeah, it's a North Face shoe, whatever. And somebody on Twitter says, well, I got a shoe like that. And somebody else says, well, check the tag and see where it's made. And it says, made in Vietnam, you know, right on the damn thing. So anyway, it just goes to show. And then the guy was joking about how this one German born again crank is responsible for the entire campaign that there's a genocide going on in Western China when there's just no other information that would call it that whatsoever, anything like that at all. Um, but this one guy has been that successful in um, in getting that, you know, well, going. Our our Libertarian Institute um, friend here, Patrick McFarlane, um, says that Peter Lee is saying they're going to try to drag out the Uyghur issue to boycott the Olympics. Oh, I'm sure they will. Yeah. And and Patrick McFarlane, by the way, uh, people just type in Liberty Weekly and Uyghurs, and he's done really great work on uh, all that stuff. So Dave is backstage. But okay, let me just say, on. before we bring Dave on, let me just say real quickly on the Johnny yeah. Hurley thing, because I took way too much time on the uh, Eastern Europe there. But the the cop story, Pete, was that after Johnny Hurley had shot the bad guy, that then he went over and picked up the bad guy's rifle. And that then when the cops showed up, they saw Johnny with the rifle and assumed and pulled the trigger. But they didn't do, show that. They didn't demonstrate they that video? at all. Do they have and, video of that? Do they have? Well, yes. So that's that's what's happened now is finally they have come forward with the footage and they have demonstrated to not one million percent conclusive. But it's it's funny the way the video is cropped and whatever. But it does seem very much it satisfied me. And I talked with Ford Fisher about this as well, that he agreed that it does seem to show that after he was shot, he dropped the rifle on the ground. So he was holding it at the time that he was shot. But then the cop says, when the cop laid eyes on him, he was manipulating the rifle, right? Which Ford says, and you and I are both thinking, and our audience is all thinking the exact same thing, which is, 
yeah, he was detaching the magazine and clearing the chamber is what he right. was doing, right? He was rendering the weapon harmless is what he was doing. But the cop, um, I'm not saying, I'm not taking his side, but I'm just saying this is, you know, what happened in his explanation for the event that happened was he saw the guy with the rifle and he had his back to a brick wall or not, maybe not his back, but he was, had a brick wall behind him. And he knew that if he moved just one step to the left or the right, that he would no longer have a clean shot and the whole public square would essentially be in the open in the background. And he knew in this moment, he had a shot to take where he had a brick wall behind the target and he took it. But he did not say freeze. He did not say drop it. And his excuse was, well, I only had a handgun and he had a rifle. So if I had said freeze or drop it, then it would have been, you know, I would have been overmatched in our shootout. So I just decided to take the shot anyway. And then it turned out he killed the hero. By the way, the hero who what? Who ran toward a guy with a rifle armed with only a handgun and yep. went and took his position of safety, identified his target clearly and correctly, and then moved and took that target out and killed that man, killed the man with the rifle with his handgun. Um, and then, but the cop cannot be expected to do the same in the same situation whatsoever. And so it clearly was a mistake. And as Ford said, Johnny and the cop both thought they were protecting their community that day. They hear gunshots and they both ran toward the gunshots. Give them credit. Okay. But the cop blew away the hero and he won't be held accountable because Pete, it's reasonable that he made that choice, which I never heard of a law like that. Tell me, tell me if you ever heard another case where, well, your honor, I did shoot him in the back, but he was holding a rifle and I only had a handgun. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I don't think that a, a regular human would get away with that, but a government employee can. And so, so that's the bad news. The truth came out and the truth was that Johnny had unfortunately picked up the rifle right at the moment obviously not to do anything with it other than to render it inert. But right in the moment when the cop, you know, first put his eye on him, identified him as a target and a safe target to engage in the moment and took his gamble and lost, well, won but missed and got the wrong guy. So that's the tragedy of Johnny Hurley. He was a libertarian anarchist, again, from Arvada, Colorado. He was a member of We Are Change and was apparently a great an anti-police activist and anti-government activist of all kinds. And, um, and yeah. And, and by the way, three cheers for Ford Fisher, who is this great new independent yeah. video journalist who goes traveling all around the country and covering these stories in a way Very that good. we just wouldn't get our hands on them any other way, I don't think. So there's that. You're going to click the button on Dave. There he is. Hey, man. Dave What's Smith. up, boys? How, How you doing, doing? bud? Doing good, man. How are you guys? Real good, man. That's a fuck. That's a real sad story, man. I remember we were up in Porkfest. Was like a couple days after that had happened, and uh, Luke was up there, and he oh. was just yeah, he was all torn up about it. It's a horrible, horrible yeah. story. Yeah, I know that was you know one of his associates there. The We Are Change guys. Yeah. Yep, it is. It's it's a bad one. You know, understandable, but just one of those really shitty things. Well, I'm not, you know, it's like, I'm not really even dead. like, I'm not like a, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not like a vengeful type of person in terms of like justice like that. Like if the, if there is an accidental death, I don't want to like, you know, like, I don't want to see someone like 
go to jail for life or something like that. But if there was, if like you were saying, if it was any normal person, there would be some type of like liability, just some type of like restitution that would be owed. Yeah, something. Well, there won't be because it's yeah. a government employee. So don't forget that. There you go. Yep. All right. right well, so what are we talking about? I think about? I turned this part of the show over to you guys mostly, right? Cool. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, that's, oh. that's those are famous last words from Scott Horton. And yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, <laughs> I set him off with one thing, and then it's oof, we'll see. So, Dave, um, Omicron. Hmm. What are you hearing about Omicron? Oh, I've been I've been following this all day. I've been listening to audio on this all day. Um, I heard you talk about it last night. What are you thinking? Right. Well, yeah. So like I said uh, last night, first of great name, if you want to scare people, much scarier than Delta. Delta sounds like some shit that you could just be you know, like, whatever, I'll handle Delta. But Omicron, that uh, sounds like a transformer. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think since the the all the COVID, then things have been pretty insane, you know, over the last, what is it? Is it 20 months now? I keep saying how many months it is. 20, I think it's 21 I'm, now. Yeah. 21 months. Okay. So this to me and there's been a lot of hysteria but i think this is probably the the point where the hysteria and the reality are the the most separated that they've ever been um and i don't you know i mean i'm not trying to downplay covid or downplay what this new variant could be you know i don't know i mean covid's a serious a serious virus it turned pete into a right winger like it'll do some damage to you you know what i mean but uh <laughs> Uh, that was before <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding but uh but all of all of the evidence like the actual evidence coming out meaning like the reports from doctors in south africa all of the actual data that you can get your hands on the indications seem to be about as positive as it could be for a new variant right. like they're all like yeah it seems like a less deadly variant but possibly more or less contagious than delta we don't really know that but if it is going in the direction of less deadly, more contagious. And this is kind of like, oh, all right, this is kind of the best case scenario of what we would think. This is the evolutionary pressure on COVID that it's going to be here forever. We're not going to eradicate COVID. This is just impossible. It lives in animals. You're not going to eradicate this, this virus, but maybe it could be on its way to the common cold eventually, and we could get better and better treatments. All the focus should be off of vaccines at this point and onto treatments in, in my uh, estimation. Um, the, the truth is that even the, the pharmaceutical companies are saying, well, we can develop vaccines that are effective for these new variants within six months. But th that doesn't matter because by that point, th th there's a new variant and it's it, it just it doesn't make any sense. Um, but so there's really not, I think, not much to be alarmed about with this. And of course, everyone is freaking out. Like, I mean, the corporate press is like Jim Cramer is demanding the military come in and start uh, running trials for you to prove that you are a conscientious, you know, resistor to, to not taking the vaccine and lockdowns for the unvaccinated are being floated out. So it's, it's a weird moment where even though it's kind of scary to see actual important, powerful people advocating all of this stuff, I kind of do. I have a little bit of an optimistic feeling about this. Like I'm like, oh no, this is a little, this is a little too crazy for the reality on the ground. Yeah. And we're not for them, like it's not that governments can't pull off this level of of propaganda, but you need like North Korea style government control to pull off this level of propaganda. And they just don't have it here. Like even even as hysterical as the propaganda in like March 2020 was, none of us really knew better. 
Like we didn't know better the way we know now. This is just like, I don't know. Delta wasn't the nightmare that they claimed Delta was going to be. And this one, all indications, I like, we don't know for sure, but all indications are that this is going to be, uh, is, is just not going to be that severe. Yeah, I've been following no the No Agenda podcast, and they like mm-hmm. find every audio for of every interview about the um, about anything like this. And they had one with Francis Collins, who is uh, actually Fauci's boss, and I think he's stepping down at NIH. And he was basically he said, and he's laughing about it too. He's at first he's like, you know, we have to be careful about this. We don't know, and but he's chuckling while he's doing it, which is really weird, and. He says towards the end, he goes, when we look at this variant, what we know about this variant is it looks like it's deteriorating and we're almost down to where the common cold is. So I don't know how much they can keep this going anymore. And and hey, guys, I mean, isn't this uh, oops, I got to hit that button in this. What I told you back in the beginning when I talked to my uh, epidemiologist friend is in, in fact, even before I talked to him, I said the big hope is it'll be like the Andromeda strain. And remember that the way that book ends, they think that this virus is going to wipe out mankind. And at the last minute, it evolves to be essentially harmless. And that that's probably, and you think of the evolutionary pressure on the thing, if it wants to survive, it's got to be less deadly and more transmissible. So you let it go for a few generations, and then this is what you get. Less deadly and more transmissible. And And I would, it's more transmissible than good, because that means it crowds out the Delta which is, you know, still pretty dangerous, that this is less dangerous. And I saw one of these doctors say that, well, one of the reasons they think the vaccines won't work very well on this one is because it's it's changed in yes. so many different places on the one germ. It's so many different uh, uh, evolutionary changes at once. But that also has really taken the effectiveness out of the virus as well. It's changed in so many ways. It seems to be less infectious and less dangerous for the people who've had it. And I saw the South African doctor who I guess has treated the most patients who've had it has said that, oh, yeah, no, it's been all very mild and pretty good. You know, yeah. not too bad. You know, so I think one, you're right, Dave, that the level of panic on the ratio compared to, you know, just a, what a big deal it isn't. This is actually the good news we've been waiting for. Yeah. Right? Is the, the quite a bit less dangerous and more transmissible version, hopefully two or three years from now it will just be essentially another cold like virus. And we do have more than half a million dead. So it ain't, but that's so far, but, but it could really evolve to be something much less dangerous, hopefully sooner than later. And yeah, hopefully this is really the start of that. I was talking about this on my show uh, last night, but there's something, and I think I like a bunch of libertarians have, uh, have made this point. I think I remember uh, Curtis Yarvin made this point when he did his uh, Tucker Carlson interview, which I thought was a really great uh, point that he made. Um, where he was like, you know, it's like everything like, like, and this is ultimately, I think why I'm an anarchist. I think why, why all of us are in our hearts that it's like politics poisons everything. And even, you know, like it, it poisons, like even really, really smart people. And there are like, it's like, if you go to like modern, like any like kind of modern scientist, if you were to go to like some Ivy league university and go to their like, you know, science department and someone doing lab studies or, or whatever you would like, I mean, if you go find some chemist or something like that, they're just like, they, they know so much about the world and they're right about everything. Like they're like, look, this is what we've figured out after like all of these years of doing chemistry. And we know all of this and here you go to a physics department and all bunch of brilliant geniuses and all of this and all. And 
then it, and if you were to talk to climate scientists, they know like a ton about the climate until you start talking about climate change. And then they all like give you these like hysterical predictions that none of them end up coming true because it's a completely politicized issue. And it's the same is true with COVID. Like, and, and I was talking about, I've dealt with, you know, cause I've, I've talked a lot about the situation I've been going through. I've dealt with a lot of doctors in the last few months and like some of the best in the world, like world renowned, incredible doctors. I've been very fortunate to have them taking care of my boy. And they're, they're, they're geniuses. Like I was at, um, uh, Columbia Presbyterian, um, uh, uh, children's hospital, um, which is like the, it's like the number one children's hospital in the world. There's these unbelievable doctors. They're all brilliant geniuses, like all of them. Every single thing they do there, they have like an exact scientific answer for why they're doing it. There's never a thing where you go, well, why are you doing that? Why are you giving them this? Or why are you doing this test? So they'll always explain it to you. Oh, there's a reason because we know what the fuck we're doing because we're way smarter than you and we know what we're doing and you have no idea. So, and then you go, yep, you're, you're sure right about that. You know, except their COVID policy is just insane. I mean, I remember them, they were giving my wife a COVID test before she went into labor and, um, and we're waiting like an hour to get this test result back. And they're like, we can't go in until we get the COVID test. And I'm like, well, what happens if she pops positive for COVID? What are you, what are you not going to deliver the baby? And they're like, well, no, then we take your baby into a special uh, makeshift NICU instead of bringing him up to the regular NICU. And I was like, oh, so if she has COVID, then the baby has COVID? And they're like, no, we've actually never seen a case where a mother had COVID and then the baby came out having COVID. And I was like, so then why are we doing this? I'm like, I know. And they go, I know. It's stupid. Even them, these brilliant doctors just go, I know, I, it's, it's just, we're just going along with it because we're doing it. And then they, she comes back, the test is negative. She doesn't have COVID. And they go, she has to wear a mask during the delivery. And I just flipped out. I literally lost my shit. And I was like, well, wait a minute, what? You just did a COVID test. You know she doesn't have COVID. So why would she have to wear a mask? And they're like, yeah, it makes no sense. And then I just flipped it. And then there was one cool doctor, this anesthesiologist. And he was like, yeah, just take off the mask, whatever. We don't care, fine. Yeah, because he acknowledged, it's like, this makes no sense. But there's no other thing you could get these brilliant genius doctors to follow that makes no scientific sense other than something where there's this mass hysteria around it. You know what I mean? And like, that's what happens with these things. And it's like, politics is so poisonous that no one can just look at this and go like, hey, let's just have a rational conversation. Everyone is so, it's not just the financial incentives. It's like the identity incentives. Like people have bought into like, I am on this side of this issue. And therefore I cannot admit that I'm wrong about my identity if I, if, if I say that, no, this isn't actually the proper way to handle things. And so, you know, talking the other day, and I'll, I'll wrap up on this, but the, the other day I was talking to this doctor, this really good doctor, but he goes to me, he goes, he goes, you know, knowing this new variant's coming out, you guys should really make sure you're vaccinated and like everyone you're around are vaccinated. And I go, well, do the vaccines work against this new variant? And he goes, well, we don't know. We have no way of knowing, you know? And I, and then, and we're talking for a while. And then he goes, well, the reason it's this, this new variant was tearing through South Africa is because they're, you know, they're, they're not very, they're, they're highly unvaccinated. And I was like, but you just said, you don't know if the vaccines work against this new variant. And he just had nothing to say. And then I was like, but what about all the really highly vaccinated countries where the, the virus is tearing through those countries? Like what's And they, it's like, they're just like, look, I know I'm just kind of repeating what everyone else has told me. And they're just not ready to identify as the guy who challenges every single institution that they kind of look to. And it's just, it's a shame because we just need like an actual adult conversation about this. And it's, 
it's rare. I mean, it, this is you have to be vaxxed to travel internationally. How the hell did they get here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how how the hell is this thing spreading all over the world if you have to be vaxxed to travel? That's the reason I didn't go to PFS this year. I I wasn't going to deal with any of that bull crap. Yeah. It's like, how is this spreading? Well, do I have to say it? Vaccinated people are spreading it. And the people who got it here, the the cases in America, the ones that were confirmed were like two cases. And I don't even understand exactly how they're confirming which variant this is. But regardless, the the ones that were confirmed here, they said we're we're vaccinated people who had mild symptoms. So you're like, so what are we talking about? Like, what is this? Like, well, and look back to what you were saying, Dave, about how, yeah, but you know what? I mean, they're essentially trying everybody's patience with this stuff now. And um, you guys may have seen Tom Woods' email yesterday where he was quoting, you know, CNN lady saying, well, you know, I don't know if we need to be declaring a state of emergency and I don't think we need to be locking down. And this is, as he put it, you know, this lady who's been reliably horrible on all of this all along. And she's even looking at this insane level of overreaction over this new milder strain and saying, well, geez, I really don't know. And by the way, I saw someone in the chat corrected my lingo there. I, I said it wrong. What I was trying to say was, less dangerous but more transmissible but i ended up using the wrong glossary words there got me there but i saw something else though that pissed me off and i see this all the time which is oh died with covid but not of covid oh yeah well what about all the people who died because of covid five days after they didn't have covid anymore you know i got a friend who he hadn't had COVID in days and days but he still died of pneumonia because lungs were destroyed because of the COVID. So are we counting? Well, did all they of count that? Did they count do? that as a COVID death? Do what? Do they count that as a COVID death? Well, I don't know. They yeah. sure as hell should. You yeah. know, um, if somebody has diabetes and they're sitting in their chair and then they get COVID and then they die and then every libertarian goes, no, he had a comorbidity. Yeah, well, he was alive with diabetes. Now he's dead with COVID and diabetes. So. Yeah. Like, yes, you can blame the diabetes for being a co uh, comorbidity, but I don't know why we have to bend over backwards to acquit COVID at every yeah. opportunity. But there I is, you know, know why I, we, I don't know why we, we didn't go crazy when the person with diabetes was killed by the flu before all of this. Well, it, it wasn't more than half a million in a year. I mean, Pete, well, you, had, yeah. you were sick for what, four weeks? Three weeks. So yeah. For three and a half of those weeks, you didn't have COVID. You had already uh, excreted out your COVID, but you still had to deal with your your pneumonia and your lungs coming back to full health and and what have you for weeks and weeks after that. Yeah, so but I'd say, Scott, I, listen, I'm not I, I get what you're saying. And I actually think you're probably right about that that point. But I do understand where like, you know, there is a, uh, an impulse, I think, amongst good people. And I, I mean, I don't know. I certainly have this impulse. So maybe that makes it good people in my but, you know, it's like if Ron Paul had stood up in 2007 at the, the presidential debates and he had had a, a, a space to say something and he said, you know, what I just want to say is that I think the terrorists are evil and they deserve to be brought to justice. It's like that's not exactly wrong, but it's like, what are you adding to the conversation by saying that when everyone's already saying it? So I do understand where there is this impulse. I think it's not necessarily like downplaying the virus, but when everyone is in this moment of hysteria over this, like to the point where they're saying, we need to 
give up everything. And this is not like an exaggeration, like every societal norm down from seeing a person's face to standing near them, to shaking their hands, to going to work, to going to funerals, to like, you know, discrimination under the law to go to the freaking like Knicks game or whatever. It's like, I understand where the impulse on people is to be like, no, someone needs to be in here saying like the other side of this, which is actually way more important that it's like, no, you guys are all being hysterical and overreacting to and, and so I'm not I mean, saying you're fine. wrong. I'm just like, that's fine. I just don't like BS arguments. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Died with COVID, but not of it is a BS argument. And I hear it well, it's all not, the time. And I don't, I don't see why. It's why not a BS argument. Here. It's just it's there's also another side to that, that you're making the point. But there are a lot of people who are listed as dying with COVID where they died with five comorbidities where it's like this is kind of – it's a very arbitrary thing to say that COVID is what killed them. But you're probably right. Uh, now, I don't really know if your buddy's is, listed as a COVID death or not. Well, what's really arbitrary is, as my epidemiologist friend was telling me back in March of 2020 or whatever it is, that all whatever 17,000 counties or whatever is 12,000 counties in America all have their own coroner and he has his own rules for what he calls yeah, the cause yeah. of death. And there's not even a statewide standard in any single one of the 50 states in the union. So it's up to any coroner and his rules might not even be rules in a book. It might just be in his head what he decides he thinks is the leading cause of death and the second leading cause of death and the third leading cause of death. Yeah. And then and there's then, the, the uh, so, no, you're right. That's 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 crazy. So we're not even like discussing one thing when we talk about these yeah, things. On no, like we're a, totally on, not. On a large we're totally level. Not. And we're also and, not talking about all the people who died at home again and, of pneumonia after their COVID no, had come and gone. But they still had pneumonia and then died of the pneumonia. So. Yeah, you're right about that. But it's very the stuff's very hard to measure, especially with the excess death rates. It's very hard to measure, you know, how many people were not going to the hospital because they were scared of COVID and dying of other things. How many people were not going to the hospital because they had COVID and didn't believe in the official treatments and how right. it's very hard to parse this stuff out. But the other thing, of course, that just doesn't get nearly, nearly enough attention, though, is even you said your buddy with diabetes. And I, yeah, I'm not trying to like vilify anybody for you know what i mean like their their health but it's like we're we're just a very unhealthy country and I'm of course so drinking much dr. Of the, pepper yeah just listen I, i'm not in a can yeah i'm not like i'm not like judging anybody else i've been i've i'm a little better than i used to be but only because my wife like you know makes me but i'm still i'm still vaping and and drinking and all this stuff and it's not you know but i'm just saying it's like what is it? You know, it's like 78% of the uh, the hospitalizations and deaths are are obese people or something like that was one of the numbers that the CDC put out. I, again, I right. take these government numbers yeah, with a grain right. of salt. But, you know, and, and, and there is a lot that a libertarian could have to say about that. I mean, it's, you know, uh, obviously there's been so much like poisonous information about health and diet that's been put out by these giant corporations in connection with with the government i mean you know as i i don't know um if you guys ever watched that uh um fed up i think was the name of the documentary that katie couric made well i hate katie couric but man that was a really good documentary and she actually was really on point about how you know michelle obama's uh whole like you know get kids not so fat anymore uh mm -hmm. movement just got completely co-opted and how basically Coca-Cola and McDonald's and like all these big companies came in and they were just like, well, we would love to contribute to this and we'd love to have a hand in crafting like, you know, the literature on this. And then by the end of it, they turned it into this um, this whole calories in calories out movement where they were like, really, all that matters is counting how many calories you eat. 
That's all that matters. Don't worry about like what those calories are made of or anything like that. You know, are you eating almonds or a Big Mac? Don't really worry about that so much. Just and and it, it's definitely true that you know over the last generation, this you know they call they used to call type two diabetes adult onset diabetes, and you can't even call it that anymore because there's an epidemic of kids who have it now. Like it was unheard of for kids to be this over because kids are always running around. Kids don't get fat like that, you know? And th there's, if you really wanted to have a serious conversation about like, okay, we need to control this, this virus. It does seem like this being such a huge part of what leads to really negative outcomes would have to, at some point come up, you know, yeah, like, this is also take a walk everybody. Yeah. Look, you know, get out there and breathe some fresh air and get at least a minimum exercise for God's sake. But wait, so we're running out of time. We got about seven minutes left and I want for the two of you, I know you're keeping better track of this than me, but I know there's new developments to please talk about the victories in court against the vaccine mandates as handed down by the president. So I know there've been two or three court rulings. Well, OSHA, OSHA was a, here. yeah. So OSHA's uh, mandate was suspended I don't know what's ultimately going to happen with that. I don't think it's officially been defeated. Uh, the last I read was that it was it was suspended. Um, so at least OSHA can't go forward with this if you have 100 employees or more thing. But, you know, the problem with it is that Biden announced it as a certainty that it's happening. And a lot of companies have already gone forward and started putting right. this into into place. I mean, well, I know people. Just, I think the court just yesterday or the day before banned one that applied only to government employee, federal employees and federal contractors. And now the way the, the district court system works on the federal level is their rulings only count for in their districts. And so, you know, that's chipping away at it, but there's what, nine or 11 different districts or whatever it is. So at least in, in a couple of these federal court districts, they have issued stays. I saw somebody in the chat room said no man they're just kicking that thing off right now so i don't know yeah i'm not oh, sure by the way i did see someone in the chat too said that they counted a guy in a motorcycle wreck as having covid i know that that's true i remember ron paul covered that it was a guy in florida i'm sure there's some of those that's part of it but yeah i found i found out today that even after this whole osha thing that the company that i worked for up until um june it said they had not mentioned at all the vaccine mandates until today the email came out today you have until january 1st to get it or you're gone hmm. or you're on unpaid leave basically so even after the and i know like the people that run run this company i know them personally and i know that they're on top of this kind of stuff they're looking at it every single day seems like they they're just making a decision for themselves yeah, did you see the thing in uh in in Canada where they were trying to track uh people, even vaccinated people's prior refusals to get no. vaccinated? Yeah, this is I'll I'll have to pull this back up, but there's something really interesting and kind of incredibly creepy about this where you get you know it's it's like this weird thing where for people you gotta think, right? For people who are unvaccinated now, like after all of this, after this ginormous propaganda campaign and not just the propaganda but like really i mean in some ways strict coercive by the libertarian you know definition but in, in almost every way coercive by like the leftist the traditional leftist you know uh definition right where they would say that 
well, yeah, I mean, your boss can fire you, but that's kind of forced because what are you going to do, starve or whatever, which we may have disagreed with for a long time. But anyway, um, the uh, and I still kind of do. But anyway, there's that's that's extra pressure for sure. The people who have still not gotten it at this point have their heels pretty dug in to not getting it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they haven't heard of it. And then they're just going to be like, oh, there's a vaccine right. for this like that. And but now it's kind of like, but how much pressure can you put on them? You know, I mean, how many people are in a position where they really can lose their job or they really can't? So it's kind of interesting to find out, first off, who conforms the quickest, who not not to say that everyone who gets the vaccine conforms. I mean, I don't mean it in like a negative way, but it's interesting to see of all the people who really don't want it, how much pressure it takes to make them do it. And if this isn't some, you know, if somewhere there aren't some powerful people who are taking this all in and, and kind of learning some, you know, social psychology lesson from all of yeah. it. and. You know what we'll, we'll say well mia culpa i mean i i think both of y'all interviewed me when they first started coming out talking about this passport stuff and i said well i just don't think it's gonna slide because um essentially there's no way to enforce it that won't be discriminatory against the poor and therefore racial minorities and so you you have your your uh left-wing ideologies clashing Horribly. In fact, we did see the first big protest against the vaccine mandates in New York was a Black Lives Matter protest against the vaccine mandates because that's who's being discriminated against. That's, you know, 70 percent of blacks in New York City are not vaccinated. And so that means they can never go inside a restaurant again. And, um, you know, so but I guess I was too, as they say, white pilled on that. And I just thought that that's going to create such problems. But you know, really going after, you know, New York City, I think, is the only place in the country where they're going after the general public, the customers like this. But what Biden's doing, mostly what we're talking about is to continue being employed somewhere, which is something that doesn't necessarily draw the outrage of customers who are not necessarily affected, may not even know that the people behind the counter are being kind of treated that way. But I mean, there should be massive civil disobedience yeah. campaigns against this. Too. Well, there have like, been. It's there not exactly violent coercion. Well, a sit-in is not exactly violent coercion either. But you no, know, I agree. But I think I think kind of the, the almost like the point that that you're making. Like I think the the counter to that that it'd be like this kind of like left wing ideological clash is that you know as we all kind of know this it, it's not really a left wing ideology that's driving all of this that's just kind of what they use i mean it's a corporate right. ideology right yeah, and the it's left just, versus it's, the liberals is more like it right well well right but it's like the it, it's a weird dynamic because it's like you have the, the these like giant corporate interests you know pushing the most radical leftist message, or at least one type of the most radical leftist message, some type of critical race theory, you know, thing. And th like they push that, but of course they push it to the point that it's convenient to them. And if all of a sudden, like, look what happened for how much support Black Lives Matter got in the corporate press when they were protesting under Donald Trump. To, there were big Black Lives Matter protests about the vaccine uh, uh, passport. It got like almost no cover. Like the corporate press is like, ah, you're not really that useful to us anymore. We're actually, when push comes to shove, we're a lot more concerned with pharmaceutical companies, giant profits than we are with, you know, like right. racial injustice or something like that. So you kind of see how this is, this is all, um, it, it like as far as I'm concerned, it's kind of just like I don't really think it's it's like like I talk a lot about this on my show, but I don't think it's that the left overtook the liberals. I think it's that the liberals overtook the left and they realized that this 
like using this this kind of pushing this ideology could like neutralize the left bring them all in and then they can kind of you know because it's the dumbest of the left ideology it's not like they're embracing like some chomsky like like stuff they're embracing like the dumb racialist stuff that they can just distract you with all these nonsense issues at their pleasing kind of and and, and they push so much conformity you know like among, uh, amongst the left like the left if we can get the leftists to conform that really kind of helps corporate interests and so they're so they so many of them have been so brainwashed by all this shit that it's like yeah they just won't even like well yeah, I know we used to be against like disparate outcomes equals discrimination, but now we're just really into blaming the unvaccinated for everything. So that's where we'll go. And it's right. It is kind of working more than at least a lot of us had hoped it would. I got to say, too, though, I mean, I think and maybe maybe too much of this is in my imagination about the near term future, but I'm just predicting more and more, you know, harsh reactions to the right all across this country and across europe and wherever regular elections are happening. i think i, I think, think you're right in australia curious. for example their days are numbered i'm Every, curious everybody in office in australia is doomed right i now. i, I australia is pretty far gone so I'm, I'm a little concerned about that i i was thinking they that could for suspend a while election yeah yeah that that wouldn't look man they got they people could, in yeah. these they got people in these voluntary camps where three people escaped yeah, <laughs> like you're like, well, if you escaped, it's not really that voluntary. You know what I mean? Like, so what is so this is but I'm, I'm just really, I'm predicting Republicans are going to win at all levels all across the country. I, I agree years, with you that and in four years, I think Republicans um, are going to have a big, a big uh, midterm in 2022. Yeah, for sure, the liberals but, are just they're just sniffing their own farts on this. They're listening only to each other about this. I mean, you saw this the way that they lost in Virginia. And then there were some great clips. Uh, oh, in New Jersey, I guess, in these gubernatorial races. And then there. Well, they didn't lose, but it, it was very close, and yeah. uh, it shouldn't have been. Oh, know. right, yeah, yeah, where it was supposed to be a blowout the other day. Oh, yeah, we yeah. talked about this on your show. But like, so there were clips of these people on MSNBC going, "Jeez, what happened?" And some of them saying, "You know, I think maybe we only listen to each other too much." <laughs> Mm, yeah i think so too and i think that that hasn't changed and that's not going to change and they don't really realize the world outside their doors again um as we talked about dave on your show that they said oh my god look at these poll numbers that say black and hispanic support for trump increased across the country not by huge margins but by some and that's after four years of accusing this guy of being the grand dragon of the ku klux klan for god's sake and a russian one at that and so what explains that? And the answer is, even though he botched the narrative and claimed to be the leader of all lockdowns and whatever that summer and and did not lead the narrative well, the Democrats had their narrative locked down, which was we are the worst on this by far. And the Republicans couldn't possibly be as bad as us. And, you know, I have friends who had never voted for Republicans in their lives. Um, a good buddy of mine told me, oh, I pulled the lever and just voted for all Republicans because of these lockdowns. That's it. That was a year ago, right? In the, yeah, I think the, the election last November. And I just think that that's the single overriding explanation for the increase in black and Hispanic support for the Republicans. What else I think, I think the riots, it, I know? think the riots had a lot to do with it too. Yeah, but the riots, yeah, I think too, the but... riots had a lot to and do with it. That's part you know, of the lockdowns this... and the consequences yes, of yes. all that anyway. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah. No, you're right. But there is, there's this really goofy like Democrat, 
uh, view of of the world, of the racial world, which is so removed from reality, particularly anyone who actually has spent time with different people of different races, and where it's kind of like, well, it's all minorities together against the white person or like the straight white person or something like that. And they go like, well, Latinos are basically, they just identify as the exact same as black people and gays and trans people. They're all in this together, you know, versus that. But in reality, they're like, yeah, no, there's actually a lot. Like racism and prejudice don't just go in one direction. Like they actually flow all throughout different cultures. And, you know, a, a movement called Black Lives Matter that's like destroying neighborhoods not going to be super popular with the puerto rican dude or the mexican dude or something or like that like even. or even black people yeah right right so um so there's that but i do think i still although i i am i mean i think it's reasonable to be very concerned about where we are as a country i'm very very concerned um i do think i think the covid regime is going to fail ultimately but i think it's going to be kind of like it's going to fail the way the war on terror regime failed where no one really believes in this shit and they can't really get what their ideal goal was. But all the precedents have been set and so much has been accepted and yeah. no one's really making some push for like, oh, we shouldn't be groped at the airports anymore. Like, no, we've all just kind of accepted. That's just part of life now. And so the masking and the like some of these restrictions, I don't think they're going. And I think that climate change is going to be the next one that they really yeah. try to push. And, I, and, and we'll see. We'll see where this all goes. No, I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's great. So they're they're all grown up. It's thirty years from now, and the COVID crisis is just finally ending. Oh, really? And, yeah. Oh, I won't that's ruin amazing. It any more than that? But it's, it's hilarious. That's blackmailing. Yeah, hey, I got I, I got some super chats here, and a couple of them are for Dave. Um, hi to all. Thanks for the great show, Dave. This is from Colin Brown. Dave, I hope you got the card and that everything's going well. Um, I I got a lot of cards. And I, <laughs> I, I, I don't um, remember exactly, but I really, really appreciate that. Everything is going very, very well. Thank you so much, my brother. All right. Now, this is something that's not so easy. This is to you, Dave. Okay. Do you fear that going all in against the government's policies to fight COVID will create too high or divisive a bar for people to clear to rally support behind the Mises caucus? I'm sorry. So ask that again. So going all in on the COVID policy. Yeah. Do you fear that going going all in against the government's policies to fight COVID will create too high or divisive a bar for people to clear to rally behind the Mises caucus? So, in other words, people who wouldn't support uh, yeah, opposing saying, the COVID is regime, that scare they would say away. Yeah, if you're the, too hardcore on this. No, I mean, I don't think so. And I, I don't think not. I mean, like, I, you know, there is to some degree, like the people you want to scare away. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to make as many people good on everything as we can. But it's kind of like if you were like, oh, if you're like, if you're like in 2005, and you're like, you're really against the Iraq war, do you think that might scare some people away? It's like, well, if you yep. can't accept that, then right. yeah, maybe you're just on the other side. And you're not really right. supposed to be with me. So if you're like, if you don't want to like, look at the like, unbelievable destruction that the COVID regime has has caused. Look, man, like Scott was was saying, like there there are hundreds of thousands of people who have died from this virus, but there is like no evidence at all that any one of the COVID regime's draconian policies did anything to mitigate that. Like nothing. 
Like the like, I mean nothing. Like lockdown states versus non-lockdown states, no evidence that they've helped at all. Mask mandate states versus not ma mask mandate states, no evidence that they've helped at all. Even vaccine percentages, there's almost no evidence that this does anything, except perhaps you could make an argument that for the person who chose to get vaccinated or not vaccinated, but that's their choice. They can do what they want to do. They've they've like ruined. I mean, did you, dude, have you seen? childhood obesity is up like 30% in this country. That right there is like, and no one even cares. Oh, and How all many, the like, untreated cancers are coming. Yeah. Dude, I mean, dude, it's like, dude, you know? they've, they've destroyed. I mean, and, and forget, look, the truth is this, right? And all three of us kind of know we are not in any way actually governed by the constitution, right? Like that's just an idea and it's not real at all. And they'll invoke it when convenient, I suppose, but they're, there's so many things in the Constitution that are just blatantly violated that it's like they and they don't even pretend to have a justification. Look at the lockdowns; they don't even pretend to have a justification for those. Um, but yeah, but, but yeah, but Gavin Newsom tried to use the Tenth Amendment in order to justify right. doing it in his state. Well, right, right. So they'll <laughs> yes, they will they will invoke it whenever convenient. But like yeah. they, we we're not governed by the Constitution; we're governed by precedent, which is how all. Uh, nations are governed you know like they you could pretend a piece of paper written down somewhere actually means something but it doesn't it's what the people are willing to accept it's what you're used to it's precedent it's what you can say the precedents that were set throughout the covid regime are like terrifying and i i think like that that's the most important thing to like oppose like to me to me like the opposing the covid regime is on is on equal footing with opposing foreign policy and if 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 that turns you off i will try my best to convince you that you should oppose it as much as i can but if that turns you off then that's somebody who i'm okay with not having on board well and look i mean the thing is too is that's something to really lead on and get people who hadn't thought about it from your point of view before to stop and listen yeah. and go man you know what that guy's making a lot of sense that maybe as afraid of the germ as i am or as many vaccine boosters as i've gotten or whatever it is he still makes a point about other people not belonging to me and how maybe i should leave <laughs> them alone or however it is you want to say it to them i mean that's the whole point of doing this is to get those new ears and get people thinking, you know, let so. me, let me hit a couple more super chats here. Top, top lobster, our boy, two bucks. Happy belated birthday to Tom Woods. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you know, I really fell for that. I wasn't I just like too. in on the gimmick. It was just everybody was saying happy birthday. I go, I wouldn't have seen 60 tweets saying happy birthday to Tom. If it wasn't his birthday. And then after it, I was like, well, now I have to lean in. I mean, I can't just, <laughs> I can't fail on it. So I sent a couple more out. Liam McCollum. Thanks for the super chat. No, com he didn't leave a comment. Death, two bucks. Chomsky has lost his mind on COVID as well. Yeah. He really has. Yeah. yeah it's right after he endorsed my book, not just endorsed my book, cited my book. <laughs> I like to interview. think it was he the, came out it was, and said, uh, you know, line them all up and kill them if they won't take my shot. Or we, I like to think it, it was it was right after that interview that he lost his mind. So keep that yeah. in the but. But I do. I will say, listen, he's it's sad. He's just been totally humiliating himself and just really tarnishing his legacy. And I'm you know, I'm not a, a leftist or a syndicalist or anything like that. But Noam Chomsky really does have a great legacy. He's a really brilliant guy who's put out some incredible work. And it's just like 
I don't know, just out of respect from having gained something personally from his work over the years, like he is like in his nineties, let's just say like, I don't know. It's right. To look senile, away, but yeah. yeah, but like that is really, it's unbelievable. And particularly for who he was supposed to be this like left wing care about the working class. Like, you know, again, like he's not like us, he's not like some libertarian, you know, in our sense of the word libertarian, in his uh, he does call himself that but not in our sense of the word where he would be like well hey private companies have a right to do what private companies do like that's not the chomsky philosophy yeah. at all his philosophy would be like oh no these are powerful interests colluding against these oppressed minorities well, and you know the guy and, interviewing you know, him should have said who do um, who do you imagine you're talking about when you say yeah. let them forage for food or whatever like it's easy to just like with gun control for a leftist it's really easy to imagine that it's all David Koresh's are going to be on the receiving end of this. In other words, mullet-headed rednecks from out in the country that you yeah. don't know and you don't like and, and vote different from you. But that's not really who the victims of gun control look like, you know, most of the time. And same sort of thing with this. Hey, Noam, but the people who are refusing the vaccine are the people who have historically been mistreated by the system and don't trust it. The same people yeah. that you stick up for you know, I think I, I guarantee you he's picturing some overall wearing mullet headed Trans Am driving redneck who doesn't want to obey the Democrats or where and and so he loses his sympathy for them because he's not thinking that this is as you're saying there exactly the kind of people that he typically would be sticking up for and, and would want to be sticking up for, you know. Again, in New York, the it's uh I I well, I don't know where this number came from but i heard it a few different times that 70 of blacks in new york city are unvaccinated <laughs> and the reason why you know people you know there are a lot of black leftist activists in this country but by and large blacks are kind of right-wing democrats like for example they voted for hillary and for yeah biden over bernie sanders in the last two elections it's They're a real Christians, interesting thing mostly. that woke shit doesn't they, really work on them either they don't yeah. really go for like the woke candidates or the yeah, they're not candidates. college freshmen they yeah you know? exactly yeah. yeah so they're not inculcated and in all that they got a pretty realistic take on race compared to what a white kid in college is learning for sure on all that stuff but um but yeah i mean they're they're not that that radical and with the exception for example, with very one exception government and with with and, one exception they never really support the democratic candidate who's seen as the left winger and that one exception would be barack obama which for obvious reasons you know what i right. mean they support him but, but aside from that they were clinton clintonites well and, in fact in that election they could have supported dennis kucinich who really is a leftist right and they or, did not uh, or um you know where uh, obama's just a liberal no and, and, and as you say it was black and maybe identified as more left but was not really more left and was you know? did, was it kucinich or what's his name the guy who just died i'm blanking on gravel. his name uh, gravel mike gravel yeah. they could have supported too another they were, they were, yeah they didn't yeah, support they were, either they of the two leftists yeah. in that race at all you know yeah, and Obama. What's Obama? He's a conservative Democrat. He's Bill Clinton. That's who he. But is. he didn't run. He didn't run as a uh, as Bill Clinton. You know, he ran as left of Bill Clinton. But uh, but Maybe. even that, even that, this was a moment to have the first black president and a sure. real talented guy yeah. and all of that. You know, it's it's kind of an. an but it, but anyway, the point being though that like grab the average black guy and ask him, do you trust government medicine? And I think probably he prefers not from a libertarian anarcho-capitalist perspective, but just from experience, think he prefers his doctor in business for himself in the neighborhood over especially national government medicine, like a shot. 
because of not just Tuskegee, but an entire history of institutional medical neglect, you know, and and mistreatment. And Tuskegee is, of course, just the most famous uh, where they let these men suffer syphilis for 50 years or something to track and study what it did to them and pretended to treat them and never treated them as the syphilis destroyed their their bodies and lives. Um, and so, you know, there's a, a healthy conspiracy theory culture in black communities in America that like, why should they trust this? You know, I read the New York Times version of this. They quoted a poor black guy in Atlanta saying, you're telling me that the shot you're going to give me is the same one the rich people get. I don't believe that. Why would I believe that? Well, dude, That's did you never see what... been the case in my life. But now this time it is that I get the same as they get. Well, you look, know, dude, the there are some with that needle, you know, but I, I get, okay. That, but even that, like, look, I kind of, there's something about that. That's wonderful. I just love that. Even though I don't think it's true. I just love the conspiratorial angle, but I heard uh Rogan uh, on one of his episodes say, and I got to say, he kind of convinced me on this, but he goes, look, man, there's no way Biden actually got that shot on camera. And he goes, look, there's been like, it's very rare, but there are cases of people who faint after they get the shot and they actually uh right at least as far as i know they make you stay there after you mm, get a shot yeah. like they make you hang out for like what is it like a half hour or something like that maybe yeah, not I a half hour but, minutes, yeah. but like hang out because you might get a little lightheaded there might be a little thing or something like that and he goes there is no chance that they would risk that biden would get this shot and then right. on national television just get lightheaded and go even if it wasn't like a severe reaction or something like that just be like Whoa. And then this old man who really could have that reaction there's no way they'd risk that it would destroy the entire thing like there's no chance so they clearly like did it i'm not saying he didn't get the shot i'm just saying that there's no way that they gave him that shot rogan sold me on this there's no way they gave yeah. him that shot live on television and just risked maybe this will destroy your entire presidency but it'll be a nice photo op verse let's just freaking stick this fake one in you and then we'll figure it out later so i don't know man it's like every i think every libertarian has a healthy amount of even if you're not like a conspiracy believer a conspiracy entertainer like all right i wouldn't put this past him i wouldn't put i'm not going to jump to certainty on things i don't know about but i'm also not going to jump to certainty on things i don't know about than the other side, you know? And so I, I there's something kind of cool about that. Like there's something cool about the um people who are willing to to really have a healthy allergy to government propaganda. Oh yeah, man. Um and yeah, again, you don't have to be an ideologue, right? It just depends on where you're from and yeah. <laughs> what eyes you're looking out of, but you kind of have to be a fool. If you've been around the block a couple of times in any real city, even in Austin, Texas, which is the Shire compared to Houston or Dallas, um, you know, to to see these guys as, you know, the cops, for example, as your security force more often than your oppressor instead of the other way around. Yeah. You know, and then the same thing for whether it's the the pharmaceutical establishment or anything else. The bigger it is and the closer to power in D.C. it is, the more corrupt it is, the more immune from accountability it is, and therefore the worst job it'll do. So let me you know, let me read a couple. Can see that you can feel that even if you never read a single essay about it, you know. Sure. All right. Let me read a couple more super chats. I know you know who this is, Scott. Wood Scraps, 1798. Anarchist triumvirate should be wearing Omicron black. Meteor COVID 2024. That's too black pilled for me, man. 
<laughs> I don't know what Omicron Black is, but okay, he goes, okay, wait, wait, Reminds I forgot. Me of Futurama, though. <laughs> he goes, wait. He comes back and says, wait, wait, I forgot. Smith Meteor 2024. <laughs> Yeah, there you and, go. Meteor could be a good vice presidential running mate for you there, Dave. And, and look, dry, if I die, this guy's going to blow up the whole world, so you better not assassinate me. <laughs> and Drywall Zero or O says three be best podcasts in one. Giggity. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. And that's yeah, it. Man. And that's that's our super chats. All right. Well, look, man, before we wrap up, we didn't really give Pete enough chance to say what you think about, for example, the the um the level of hysteria and political reaction in the new strain, and then especially what you think will be the reaction to that reaction. I think that people who already have the shot are going to figure out that if they're getting this, there's something really wrong. I think a lot of people who've gotten the shot already, who um, I think a lot of libertarians try to be hyperbolic and they believe that the only people who've gotten the shot are like, you know, the religious, the religious COVIDians. And that's not true. I mean, yeah. people have gotten the shot for a lot of different reasons. And I think there are going to be a, lo a lot of those people who are like, all right, all, I was just supposed to get two shots. I'm not supposed to get this again. They're going to be like, wait a minute. You're telling me that now this new strain comes out and I have to get a booster. So I think they're going to start putting together that this is supposed to be like a flu shot where, oh, there's going to be they have to change it every six months or a year because there's going to be new um, you know it it's because it's going to mutate and everything. And then after Collins saying that, um, you know, it looks like it's pretty close to just becoming the common cold again. Um, I think that they've already started to transfer this. The next thing they're going to go to is climate change. Yeah. And they've already had the first death or the first hospitalization in Canada where they said the person was in there because their diagnosis was climate change. And they've already started. Um, I mean, I, I found articles from 2019 where they're talking about children's hearts being enlarged because of climate change, um, things like that. Myocarditis causing climate change. Um, I think they're going to slowly go away from this and people are just going to get sick of it. And I think they're going to, they're going to go for climate change. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know I think that I, I think they're going to get right wingers on this, too. I, I, I remember saying I, I don't think it'll work, Pete. They've been trying this shit for 30 years and um, this stuff for 30 years. But, but the they just did a 21. Is, they just did a 21, 21 month Petri. Yeah, well, that's rate. the thing. That's the thing, Scott. It's, it's like, look, man, it's just no, but it's outside, not. but it's just you can't. Now, dude, it's the same thing. Are you you're telling me it's more intangible than a floating abstraction that can maybe make you sick? I mean, I, I don't know. Look, dude, they just look if I mean, you... the worst wildfires in California don't kill hundreds of thousands of people. You know, they displace them temporarily and then everything is okay again. Yeah, so but I, look, you have you know... look the rhetoric. Here's I, I remember talking about this in March of 2020 on my podcast. They go, look, this is forget even the conversation about whether they can sell it or not. This is the logical conclusion of the COVID regime, is the climate change regime. They have been saying for years now, and the rhetoric is, is that we're all going to die. I mean, literally, but this is what Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren say. They say, like, the, we're, we're going to go extinct. Uh, Bernie Sanders' line is that climate change is going to make the world uninhabitable for our children. That's like, that. this is what they say. And if so if it's that big of a threat, 
and we would lock down over COVID, well, then, of course, we would try to do it over this. Now, again, I'm not even saying, like, will they be able to sell it? I don't know. We'll be a part of yeah. the resistance. You know what I mean? But sure. we'll, we'll try our best to make sure they can. I certainly but, agree that that's what they're planning and that's what they're yeah. talking about. So that's, But, that's you know, that. look, this is the same thing that happened when Bill and Hillary Clinton were inaugurated in 1993, dude. It's Captain Planet and the UN flag and the baby blue. We're going to recycle and we're going to save the world from the global warming. And people were like, yeah, right. We like burning fossil fuels so we can have lights on at night. Yeah. Well, Screw hopefully, you guys. Hopefully that's what happens. Ted Kaczynski over here might disagree, but for the rest of us, <laughs> you put your right. hood up, man. If Trump, if Trump and Kaczynski run in twenty twenty four, I got to reconsider this whole thing, Scott. I don't yeah, think I, think I, don't so, think I yeah. can handle that team. Anyway, yeah. I do. I gotta. I gotta run, guys. I gotta go record my show. Yeah, we're way over here, but uh, yeah. Thanks very much for coming thanks, on, Dave. Dave. And uh, I, was I the first people? guest? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's an honor. That's an honor. I love the show, and I've been watching it. And then I was like, I don't think they've ever had a guest on before, so I'm honored to be the first one. More. Yeah, we uh, talked about right. David Stockman, but you know, you're you're just as good. Now that guy, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't understand nothing. I'll come here. I love <laughs> David Stockman, man. Yeah, All right, listen. Uh, in two weeks, I'll see you here, Pete. Yeah, man. Okay, Take great. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks, Dave, for showing up. And that's the end of the Empire. Thanks. Bye.